0: Now this looks like a table. <laughs> <laughs> We're finally there. A few uh, few weeks ago, we had the kind of remnants of a table covered with stain with a varnished area last week. For those of you who are here, we had we had stripped it down and sanded it down. So it was open. It was open to the elements. It was open to anything. We could either, we could either refinish it, or you know, if we left it outside last week, it would be rotting <laughs> by now with all of those, like, 3 p.m. Down, downturns. This is a special kind of table. You see all the legs, and so it seems kind of confusing, but now that it's on the top, we can show you. You pop it in, and the sides come down. And so it's pretty handy. You can fit it around. Uh, this was a table um, in my grandparents' house for many years. It was by the TV. And so, so they had it for many years, you a little bit more. In a while, we could have done a lot of things with it. Um, I didn't put a clearer finish on it just by itself. Because when they sanded it all the way down, there were still some stains. There were still some things that if we just put a clear coat on it, it would have really come out, nor did it, was it a little darker. Uh, the black dye was chosen by my father because he did most of the sanding, and that's the hard work, and so it was like, fine, you, you do the sanding, and you get to pick the color. Um, uh, he had been in Colorado for a week, so I did all of this, all of the finishing, uh, but it looks, it looks new. Uh, right? Like, it, it's different. There's something, and it's, it's stable. There's a sort of black dye finish and then a few coats of polyurethane, um, a satin polyurethane on there. So hopefully it'll withstand a little bit more, but it's a, little, it's a little different. It is protected. It is something new. My friends, we are finishing our series on second chances, on remembering that we believe in a God of second chances. And even though... We can see that this table is, is mostly finished. When we look at our own, own lives, when we look at the lives of people we care about, it's hard to move. It is so difficult to move from the possibility of a second chance to the actuality of new life. That's not a simple thing. It's not a thing that you can just go in your garage and sand for six hours, and then it, it will be done. Even more, how should we respond in our own life and the lives of others when what seems like an impossible situation, one that we just have no idea what to deal with or how we can deal with it. We all have decisions in our lives, I'm sure, decisions of our past that we regret to some degree. We, we wish to move away from. We all have people in our lives whom we love, but we just don't know what we can do with them right now. We don't know how effective we can be. And if we, we look to their past and we look to our past to predict our future, new life seems impossible. It seems like the continuity is only going one direction and that is not a good direction. We can't see where a miracle could take place. and So the question is, how can we be free from the demons of our life? And yes, demons, I said that word, demons, we're getting into that today because so often we're not only marred by the mistakes of our past, but by what seems like a supernatural captivity. What happens with people in our lives who keep on making the same mistakes over and over again, which seems like a supernatural captivity. How can they be freed of the demons in their life? And I want us to think about that as we we think through this passage from the Gospel of Mark. In Mark 5, Jesus goes on a boat from Capernaum across the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gerasenes. It's now the Golan Heights, if you know the map today, of Israel. But he went over there, and he lands his boat, and he walks out, and a man screams at him. Screams at him and starts running. Sees Jesus and starts running down the hill. A man with unclean spirits. A man who's been chained up for part of his life. And so society has chained him up and then decided he wasn't even worth chaining up, so they just sent him to live among the tombs. And he's keeping his shelter among tombs on the hillside. And this man sees Jesus, and he runs to him. He runs to Jesus. He's bruised and he's broken. He's acting like anyone would say as a crazy person, and he runs to Jesus. Because it is important, like Zacchaeus last week, Jesus doesn't come to the man, the man comes to Jesus. Jesus didn't get off the boat and decide, okay, I'm going to go fix that guy. The man saw Jesus and ran down. And said, what do you have to do with me, son of God? Which is like, you know, my response like, nothing, I was just getting off a boat, what's your problem? (laughs) But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus first rebukes him. And though it's, it's fun, like Mark does it fun, like in a strange way. And so he says that the the, the demon or the possessed man comes down and says, what do you have to do with me? And then Bo- Mark says, before that, Jesus had said, had rebuked him. And so Mark flips the order. But the first thing Jesus does is rebuke him. Because when you see a crazy person coming down at you from a hillside, it's a good thing to rebuke them. But then he says, what is your name? What is your name? And the, the man possessed by Jesus, who clearly knows who Jesus is. And that's always so important for us to remember that the demons know that Jesus is Lord, that that is not a confusing thing to them. But, but Jesus rebukes him. He asks him, what is your name? And then, and then the man answers, Legion. Now, Legion, in, in Jesus' time, was only a military term. It was only a military term. So it would be like today someone answering, like, platoon or squadron or battalion. Like That would be the answer. It would be a word that was only associated with the military. But this man was not only possessed by one, but a multitude of spirits. A multitude of spirits. And then Jesus sends them away. So we have this, this order that Jesus does. He, he rebukes them, he names them, and then he sends them away. He sends them away. And that is important because we are each all filled with a legion, a multitude of desires, some of them good and some of them bad. We must still be cleansed of all of these desires but love. As as Charles Wesley said, Jesus emptied himself of all but love. We must be cleansed of all these desires but loved. Some must be rebuked and named and sent out. They are unnecessary. Desires for self satisfaction or self promotion. They are unnecessary. We do not need them. Spirits of greed and lust and pride. Spirits that tell us we are not good enough. Spirits that tell us we are not pretty enough. Spirits that tell us the people in our lives, if they only knew the real us, they would back away and run away from us. Spirits of desperation and degradation. Spirits of anxiety and rage. Our second chance can free us or make us a slave to self-destruction. Remember last week when the table was unfinished. It could have, I could have left it outside. It could have happened. I could have forgotten it. And in the rains, and it would have been destroyed. I could have poured communion wine on it. And it would have been had a really bad stain that not even the black dye would have been able to cover up. It would have been soaked right into the wood. When you enter a state of vulnerability, it can go either way. That's what makes it vulnerable. There is no state of vulnerability that has no possibility of loss. Mm -hmm. We can become more a victim of our desires or we can be freed by grace. And again, Jesus rebukes the demon, names the demon, and then sends it away. It is not an easy thing to do. It is not an easy thing to do. And there are a lot of things that we can read into these scriptures like this. We can use categories like modern psychology because they didn't have modern psychologists back then. There wasn't a diagnostics and statistical manual in order to figure out what was going on with the man sleeping in the tombs. That was not what Jesus was using. And yet what is true is that we each have a multitude of desires. Some of them good, some of them bad, and the bad ones do not need to have control over us. They do not define who we are. But who defines good or bad? This would be an important question. Who defines good or bad? It is not your parents. It is not your pastor. It is not the, the bosses at your office. We see it by the fruit. We see it by the fruit, as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 17. A good tree does not bear bad fruit. As James said in the passage today, you know, a plum tree doesn't bear olives. Salt water does not create fresh water. We see it by the fruit. Does it produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Does it build people up or does it tear them down? The bad desires of our hearts are not who we are. and the same, our mistakes of the past are not who we are. They do not define who we are. Our memories, in fact, do not define who we are. The radical thing about the Christian faith is that We are not what we do or what we remember. We are first beloved children of God. And so if we lose the ability to do, if we can't walk as we used to, if we can't run as we used to, if we can't write or speak or sing as we used to do, we do not cease to be beloved children of God. And if we cease to remember those things that we have done in the past, we do not cease to be beloved, be beloved children of God. So, this table, I told you, was my grandparents' table. And it was right by um, the recliner. And so, it would be covered, it was sitting like this, and it pulled like out. And it had you know, a crossword puzzle and some other things on it. And it would sit like that between the tables and between the recliners. And my grandparents would get up. And it was in beautiful condition. They got it in England, I think, on one of their trips brought it back to Lake Jackson, Texas, and it was a beautiful condition. Um, For many years, my mom has a lot of memories of this. And then um, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and um, and this was back in, I was a freshman in college, and so this was back in 2001. She had it for about a little over a decade, Um, and many of you have had experience with people with Alzheimer's. And as, um, as she declined, and as my grandfather took care of her, he stopped putting his drink on coasters. <laughs> and so, um, not because, it, I mean, he just, it was not the most important thing in the world to him anymore. Um, and that's how it started to fall apart. And he stopped, and he was doing that, and he was taking care of his wife in a way none of us thought was going to happen. We did not predict the care that my grandfather would have for his wife um, as she declined. Um, and then um, after, you know, after she passed away, it still, it was just, it was the table by there. He was not entertaining anymore. It was not something that he was keeping up. And so that's how it got quickly. And so you just, you stop caring for it, stuff happens. When I say that for this passage that I think it's so important for us to all always hear, is that we do not cease to become... We do not cease to be children of God even when there's watermarks all over us, even when we forget to put the coaster on, even when we forget the manners that we taught, even when we have those things in our life that distract us from all of the little things that we need to do. We do not cease to become. We do not cease to be children of God. And the people in our life who don't remember who we are and the people in our life who can't see us anymore, they do not cease to be children of God. And that is an amazing blessing. And that that shows that no matter where we are in this life and in this world, there is an opportunity of love for us. There is an opportunity for love for us. God gives second chances when many in our life do not. Not only must we accept God's forgiveness and grace to be remade like this table, we must go and do likewise. We're not called to just sit and be satisfied in our new clothes. We are sent out into this world because there's a lot more broken people out there. There's a lot of us in this room that are pretty darn broken and need a new coat of paint. But we still need to go into this world. We need to go into this world and show the possibility of new life. And even when people whom we love betray us again and again, we are called to show mercy. Not because we need to enter into situations of abuse, but to seek out mercy in the connection of a con- community to seek naming the demon and to work towards sending it away because we can only live by faith among people of faith who encourage us in those impossible situations in our life when it seems like there is no path so my question for you this day friends is who encourages you who encourages you to be free of temptations and hurts and demons Who do you encourage? Who do you seek out and say, You inspire me? You inspire me. Take heart. New life is possible. If you want tools for these second chances, tools kind of like some, you know, stripping ointment and sanding paper. (laughs) There's there's tools to make this, there's tools in our life that God gives us, that God doesn't leave us to our own devices, that we have to figure out how to be followers of Christ every time. God gives us tools to use. Two weeks ago, I spoke about the means of grace that that John Wesley preached, the means of grace, the works of piety and the works of mercy. And these are not ways to earn our salvation, but they are channels of grace in our life that we know when we do these things, God is with us. When we do the things like, like worshiping together, like participating in the sacraments, like reading the scriptures, like praying, like fasting. When we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we visit those who are imprisoned, when we visit widows and orphans, those are, those are ways that we know that we are going to be where God is. Last week I spoke about Wesley's general rules. Do, first, do no harm. Second, do all the good you can. And third, do the things of God. Do the things of God. If you are like, with someone in your life, if you are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I can tell this person. Some people in my life, I just they're in possible situation and they don't want to hear... Fred, you're in an impossible situation. That doesn't encourage someone. And it's not that helpful just to quickly say, you know, Fred, just give Jesus your heart and it'll all be okay. There's a little more to a lot of the places we are in life, that there's some truth to that, but it also doesn't get to the depth that people are at. And so one way of using these tools is to say, Fred, why don't you volunteer? So I'm not picking on you, Fred. (laughs) Fred, why don't you give something of yourself? Fred, why don't you try 24 hours of doing no harm? Just try it as something. Again, not picking on you, Fred. (laughs) But then again, maybe you don't need a tool. Maybe you don't need this concrete thing. Maybe the person in your life or maybe you yourself just needs a little encouragement that they are not alone and they're not crazy, that they're not really living in the tombs, even though it seems like they are, even though it seems like they're being chained up and have no choice in the matter that there is still freedom. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are free. You are not your past mistakes. You are not your weakest moments. You are your strongest moments of love. New life is possible this day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.